All right, this morning um, we are continuing through the book of Daniel, and if you have your Bibles, turn to Daniel chapter 2. As we get there this morning, um, I want to, this, I'm going to give us a, um, some free, this is free, this isn't part of the sermon, so you're not allowed to time me, okay? Um, but I realized that last week when we, when we started the chapter, I don't think I've ever got as much feedback uh, as I did last week, and it was encouraging feedback. And um, I always think meaningful feedback is when people say, um, man, that was challenging. Uh, and not like me particularly being a jerk or anything, but just the fact that the Word of God challenges us. That, for me, is always helpful feedback, knowing that God's doing that. Um, even more than, you're the best preacher in the world, which I've never got once in my life. But <laughs> as much as that would be encouraging, I'm even more encouraged when people say, man, that challenged me. Uh, I feel like God is, is taking me to task in some things. And those are good things because God is wanting to mature us. And so I just want, I, want, I realized there was one particular portion of last week that kind of um, struck people. Uh, so to speak, in a way. And so I just want to kind of revisit that for a little bit and give some practical handles on that. And it was particularly around the area of moving. And I know that some people heard that and like, were you talking about me? Did you know about me? And I'm like, I did not. I don't know about you. Maybe the Lord is speaking to you, you know? Um, and so I just want to give some handles because if we don't, what we could do is we apply our own subjective situations to those things or our personal emotions towards those things, and either go, ah, that's not for me, or that's like, I need to feel guilty about those things, and neither of those are true. What we need, actually, is a theology, and particularly about if we're going to move, or if we're going to stay, or all of the in-between, we need a theology of place, and Scripture does help us with that. So if you have, actually, I'm going to um, have you turn to the book of Jeremiah, um, in a very well-known portion of, t of Scripture, Jeremiah chapter 29. If you don't have your Bibles, it'll be up here on a screen. Uh, we're going to read verses 4 through 14. I'm going to try to get the, through this quick because this is an intro, all right? Um, but I want us to first see how this fits in with Daniel because the prophet Jeremiah is prophesying to Israel about their being in exile. And we know that Daniel was in exile. We know that he was an exile in a foreign land in a, in a place called Babylon. And this is the same prophecy that God had spoken to the nation of Israel that was going to happen. And then we, we see it in Daniel, it's happening. And this is what the word of the Lord says to those particular group, starting in verse 4 of chapter 29. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent, interesting, into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughter, daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. Verse 7. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare you will find your welfare. Verse 8. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you. Do not listen to the, uh, to the dreams that they dream, for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. Just a little context there. These prophets were telling Israel, don't worry, it's not going to be that bad. It's not going to be that bad. I know some have said 70 years. It's just going to be seven years where you got to stick it out. 
and Jeremiah is saying, actually, the truth is, these guys are just trying to get you to like them, and when they want to say nice things, and so they're actually lying. This is not true. It is going to be 70 years. Let's keep reading. Verse 10, for thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you, and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans, here it is. You ever heard this one before? For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for wholeness and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. We love that on coffee mugs, don't we? Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me. When you seek me with all your heart, I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. All right, how are you guys doing? All right, so a theology of place lets us know that God is involved in where we live. We see it there that he is, in his providence, has actually brought the nation of his nation, his chosen people into what we would think, no way, this can't be possible, into exile. And if you're feeling this morning, again, like you're feeling exiled from this, this world that is contrary to the things of God, then you are in good company this morning because we are exiles. And I wanted to say this portion of Scripture specifically because you see here the instruction that God gives His people. He doesn't say, hey, get the heck out of Dodge. He says, stick it out. I've called you to be there. And while you're there, you should prosper and you should cause your community to prosper. And so acclimate yourself, like input yourself into the community Get involved, be, be workers into the community, grow your crops in the community, bless your community, uh, bless your children, let your children marry, and et cetera, et cetera, and be there, but don't be of the world. And so we have to ask ourselves, if we're moving, what are the, what are the things that are running through our mind? Because it's not wrong to move, is it? It's not. The Bible doesn't say, thou shalt be born in a specific area and die there and pick, pick out your, your gravestone, right? No, what we have to do is, Lord, what is it? What does your word say? What does a theology of place say about where I live? So some helpful, just practical things that I want us to see here. Number one is we cannot look for paradise here on earth. One of my favorite kind of gospel commentators, Tim Keller, He's, he, I don't know if you know this about him right now or if you even know who he is, but he's, he is dying literally right now of pancreatic cancer. And when I first heard that news, I was like, Lord, we need this man. We need this man right now. He's been a voice in the church. He's been uh, helping us understand the truth of the gospel. And, and he, he talks about how he's gone on vacation in the past. And him and his wife would go on vacation in such a way that they put all their hope in vacation. And they wanted their vacation to be paradise on earth. And if their vacation didn't uh, meet their standard of what they were hoping to find, like peace, right, and just quiet, and their souls to be restored on vacation, they would come back home and feel like, oh, all bummed out. And he said, you know the one blessing, not just the one, but one of the blessings of me actually having cancer is that I stopped looking for paradise here on earth. I actually looked to heaven. 
And I think, friends, when we're moving, we have to ask ourselves the question, are we moving because we're looking for a bit of paradise somewhere on earth, as if that's going to supply our needs? It will not. It doesn't matter if you move to the most, however you think, that place thinks too, and everything goes your way. There will be greener grass somewhere else. We just went to Tahoe, and I love Tahoe, and we experienced smoke 90% of the time. And I could have come back from that vacation and gone, Man, that was terrible, and I need a new vacation. No, because my hope is not in Tahoe being beautiful. My hope is wherever I am, I know God's in control, and so we need a theology of place, and we don't look for paradise here on earth, okay? You guys are right? I love you guys. Okay, number two. Uh, We are citizens of heaven first, not earth and not America. Some of you are like, heresy! No. See, we are citizens of heaven. Earth. If you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a disciple of Jesus, you're saying, my allegiance is to God and God alone first. And I am in the earth, not of the earth. I am in America, not of America. I am in Christ. And so whatever Christ says, whatever, wherever he may lead me, if he tells me to stay, if he tells me to go, my citizen, my allegiance is to him and him alone. All the other things are peripheral. It's hard for us to separate Americanism and culture from our Christianity. I get it. A lot of us would say we're American Christians. Actually, we're Christians who happen to be Americans. All right? Okay. All right. Listen. You can get mad at me and we could talk later, all right? But I have the mic right now, so. <laughs> Number three, while you are alive, you are called to mission. As long as you have breath in your lungs and you are a Christian, your primary purpose for being alive is to be on mission. That's to be on mission with your family. If you're a parent, you're on mission with your kids, right? Your little kids are little sinners. Isn't that right? Don't touch that. Don't touch it. You do not have to teach your kids sin. They know. And so you as a parent are discipling and you're on mission to raise up disciples of Jesus. But it's not just in your home. It's in wherever you live. You are in your neighborhood on mission, on purpose, because God has placed you there for a specific reason to represent Jesus to people who do not know Jesus. And so as long as you are living... In this life, we don't go, okay, my uh, assignment has ended when I get to 65. I don't know what the retirement age is anymore, but I think it's getting longer and longer, right? When I'm 70, then I will stop being on mission. That's nonsense. See, the reason why you have breath in your lungs still is because God has a purpose for you, and that purpose is not so it could be hedonistic and selfish and just do all the things that you didn't get to do for the first 70 years of your life, and now you're going to just push pause on all of those, all the Christian stuff, and you're going to push it to the side, and now it's the last 20 years I just get to be selfish. No. See, what God has called us to is until we have breath in our lungs, we are on mission for him. And so where we live, you need to think through those things. And then, number four, you are part of a local church, and the local matters. You're part of a local church. You're part, for those of you who say, hey, I'm at Southwest Chino, that's a local church in a local area somewhere on the earth 
on purpose, and God has placed you here for a reason, and it matters. What we tend to do is go, I can just move anywhere, find a church anywhere, and I'll just kind of get my job, and then I'll find where I want to live, and all those things, and then I'll find a church. Well, that's very American in how we think towards the gospel. That's very contrary to Scripture. Actually, what we need to do is Christians say, Lord, where have you called me on mission? Where? And how can I partner together on mission with a local church? Thank you. I know this is like the opposite of what America tells you. It is all the wrong stuff. But this is what Scripture, the overarching story of the Bible helps us see. And then number five, the last one, is the gospel is enough in every location and every situation. If somehow there's a line in the sand for you and you say, that's it, I've had enough. I'm moving out of crazy town. Then somehow you don't understand that the gospel is enough for you in that situation. Was it enough for Daniel? Yeah, well, that was Daniel. Was Daniel any better or worse than us? Not at all. He was a normal human being, just like you and me. So we can't say, well, that was just for 2,000 years ago, and now we live here in the 21st century, and so because of that, we have different, yeah, we have different obstacles, we have different cultures, we have different situations, but the gospel is not irrelevant today, and it was relevant before. See, the gospel is enough in every and any situation, any location, every circumstance that you will face. And so when you move to wherever it is, if you are trying to run away from things that you feel are overcoming the kingdom of God and you're trying to establish the kingdom of God through paradise here on earth, you're going to find that you're going to have the same problems no matter wherever you go. And if you don't settle that now, your understanding of the gospel will not be enough for you when those things come. Your understanding of the gospel may not be for you big enough than your idols of paradise. And so, therefore, what we do is we submit ourselves to what God is leading us to. Why am I saying these things, church? It's because God has called us on mission here at Southlands Chino. We are called to be and make true disciples of Christ. And we can't do that if we're all just doing our own thing. We have to see that being part of the local and where God has called us to, it matters. And so I guess what I'm asking you is like, will you join in with us if you haven't considered being on mission with us as a church? If you're just showing up on Sundays and going, I just kind of show up for an hour and a half and then I leave and do my own thing, you're not getting it. See, we're all called to be on mission together. Amen? That was, a, that was all right, all right. Okay. Love you guys so much. So, so much. Love you. Love you. Okay. Love you, mean it. All right, let's get into it this morning. Daniel chapter 2, and what we're going to do today is just read portions of Scripture, and then uh, we'll look at them, and what does it mean? We'll double-click on it, so to speak. Daniel chapter 2, verses 1 through 13, and here we go. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His spirit was troubled, and his sleep left him. Then the king commanded that the magicians... The enchanters, the sorcerers, the Chaldeans, be summoned to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king, and the king said to them, I had a dream. This wasn't like Martin Luther King. This is totally different. I had a dream, and my spirit is troubled to, to know the dream. 
Then the Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic, by the way, just if you're wondering how they spoke, that's, there was an Aramaic. O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will show the interpretation. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, The word from me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb, and your houses shall be laid in ruins. But if you show the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and its interpretation. They answered a second time and said, let the king tell his servants the dream, and we will show its interpretation. I mean, come on, right? Verse 8. The king answered and said, I know with certainty that you are trying to gain time because you see that the word from me is firm. If you do not make the dream known to me, there is but one sentence for you. Bum, bum, bum. You have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the times change. Therefore, tell me the dream, and I shall know that you can show me its interpretation. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, There is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand. For no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. The thing that the king asks is difficult. Well, duh, yes. And no one can show it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. We're almost there. Because the king was angry and very furious and commanded that all the wise men of Babylon uh, be destroyed. So the decree went out and the wise men were about to be killed. And they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. All right, so what's going on here? Well, if you remember last week, we asked some questions, or we gave, us, we gave ourselves some questions that need to be asked as we go through the book of Daniel. And one of those things, if you remember, was we are reading through the book of Daniel is so that we could see our true identity. It's so that we could see ourselves for who we are, and not just who we think we are, but actually who Scripture helps us see that we are. If you notice that as a Christian, when you read Scripture, what it is, it's like a mirror, isn't it? What you do is you read Scripture, and if your heart is submissive and humble, as you start to read it, you start to realize Scripture is pointing out things in my character, in my understanding, in my heart, in my mind, in my actions that don't line up with what it is to be a disciple of Jesus. And so what Scripture does is it comes and it reveals, hey, you got a big white head on your face, and you need to pop that thing because everyone's like too awkward to tell you. But I'll tell you because I love you. See, Scripture loves us. Like I gave us five things about moving this morning. Everyone's like, oh, I got zits, okay? That's what it does. And so what we tend to do, though, is we read Scripture without even looking, so to speak, spiritually, and asking the question, is there anything that needs adjustment? We somehow think that we got it all together and we read Scripture, and as if somehow we've got 90% of it, and Scripture's just going to give us the 10 remaining. That is such an arrogant way to approach Scripture. What we need to do is go, Lord, I, submit, I subject myself as I read this. Holy Spirit, will you show me in your loving kindness? Well, even as, as Mike came up, and he, he challenged us this morning, didn't he? He challenged us to say, hey, there needs to be kind of this expectation in our heart to know that God is going to do things because it, it's, it seems somehow that when we have this expectation, God comes and he meets that expectation. And then somehow we don't understand it. It's not that we deserve it, but God delights in our hearts giving him expectation and then he reciprocates, right? 
And so in the same way, there's a challenge for us this morning. We have to look at this portion and ask ourselves, well, what's the identity? And I know that most of us, even myself included, when we read through this, we somehow put ourselves in the shoes of Daniel. We somehow say, okay, um, I know Kelly said last week this sermon series isn't called Dare to Be a Daniel, and so I can't think that way, but it just creeps into our thinking. Okay, Daniel did this. He's probably the protagonist, right, in the, in the story. And so this must be saying that I'm the Daniel. Actually, friends, the story's not telling us that you're Daniel. The story's telling us that we are actually Nebuchadnezzar. We're actually really the king here. See, the, the, what's, what Scripture's trying to point out is actually you're not the hero and you actually have a problem, and you need a hero to come and give you the answer. And so this morning, if you're thinking as you read this maybe this week, man, I'm Daniel. I'm the good guy, right? This is talking about me. Jesus knew about me when he was writing it. No, that's not true. See, what's going on here is Scripture saying, here's a mirror. And by the way, you have a problem just like Nebuchadnezzar. And what is that problem? What is that problem? Well, here's a couple things we see from this text. I think, one, we want to be the king, don't we? How do you know you want to be the king? You ever get mad? Anybody here ever get mad? Look at all, like about 65% of you are liars. Every hand should go up. Every single hand. You ever get mad? Yeah, you get mad. You ever get frustrated with people? Yeah? Oh, okay. Selma, all right. Watch out. Um, you ever get anxious about any kind of situation? Yep, that's me. See, the reason we get angry, frustrated, anxious, etc., what, what does Nebuchadnezzar want to do here? He wants to tear people limb from limb because he's not getting his way. And why is he not getting his way? Why is he anxious? Why is he reacting in such an angry way? Well, one, he's the king. He could do whatever he wants, right? But two, I think more importantly, and it's what we need to see in our own hearts, is there's something that he cannot fix. There's something that he is wrestling with. There's some anxious problem that he's just saying, I'm the king, make it happen, and if you don't, I'm going to destroy you and find somebody who will. See, we have the same thing in our heart. And friends, this is, this morning, God's means of grace to you to reveal this to you. Why? Because these little things that make us anxious, these little things that make us frustrated, that make us anger, angry with one another and start to treat people as if they're here to benefit our lives instead of us serving them. Didn't you see that with king, the king? See, what, what that is, that's called idol. Idol worship. Idol worship is sin. And the idols can be good things. The idols could be gifts from God. Kids, my kids are a gift from God. But when I start to freak out about my kids' future, and when I start to freak out about who they're going to marry, who they're not going to marry, and what jobs they're going to have, and are they going to be competent adults, all those kind of things. As a dad, you're like, am I pushing them enough? Am I encouraging them enough? Am I being you know, tough love enough? Am I being gentle love enough? All of those things. And I'm not doing my part, and I start to wrestle. I'm like, oh, no, I'm out of control. This is going to be a big, hot mess. What happens is, is because my kids are an idol. They're good, they're beautiful, and I love them, and they love me, I think. 
and they're a gift from God, but when I start to elevate them as God themselves, and I start to see things that I start to fear, I, I wrestle with anxiety. It could be something else. It could be your money. It could be your job. It could be your stuff. It could be your television. It could be your internet. What do you do when the internet goes out? How do you react? This is the year 2021. They could put a man on the moon, but they can't keep my internet up. Why do you react like that? Because there's an idol in your heart that says, I want information right now in three seconds, and I'm not getting it. Now i got to get on the 5G. 5G takes way longer. This is ridiculous. I'm paying. I'm calling them right now. I want my money back. And we have these idols in our hearts. And so, friends, it is good for us to recognize the Nebuchadnezzar in our hearts. It is God's means of grace to us to see that we're not the hero of the story. And it's not that we walk around and go, I'm just a worm. I'm just useless. I'm just ugly and gross and all of the bad things, you know, Lord, I don't do... No. It's what, see, we go, Lord, thank you for showing me the ugliness in my heart. Lord, thank you for revealing to me this area that is not surrendered to you. Lord, thank you for showing me that this part of my face needs... To, I, like, I brushed my teeth and then I looked in the mirror and there was still parsley there. Oh, that would have been embarrassing. Thank you, God, that you revealed the parsley. And we want to go, I like the parsley! No, no, you don't. Trust me. Get it out of your teeth. That's what Scripture helps us do. All right, you guys doing all right? All right, number two. Let's keep reading. Daniel, starting in verse, let's skip down to verse 17, and let's read all the way to 30. So here we got a mad king who's been given a dream. He, he, he wants to make it hard on everybody because he doesn't trust his guys. Right? And he says, if you don't tell me both the dream and its interpretation, it's curtains for you. And so then enter Daniel. Look at verse 17. Oh, and by the way, uh, he's, he's going to kill all these guys who should know. And Daniel and who we know as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are a part of that group, right? Okay. Uh, verse 17. Then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, and told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, and look at this, look at this prayer and praise. He says, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. To you, O oh God, my fathers, I give thanks and praise. For you have given me wisdom and might and have now made known to me what we ask of you. For you have made known to us the king's matter. Yes, awesome. Let's keep reading. Verse 24. Therefore, Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said thus to him. Thus he said, do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king, and I will show the king the interpretation. Then Arioch brought in Daniel before the king in haste and said, to, said thus to him, I have found among the exiles from Judah a man who will make known to the king the interpretation. The king said to Daniel, 
whose name was Belshazzar, are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen and its interpretation? Daniel answered the king and said, no wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show to the king the mystery the king has asked. But there is who? A God in heaven who reveals mysteries. And he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in later days. Your dream and the visions of your head as you lay in bed are these. To you, O king, as you lay in bed came thoughts of what would be after this. And he who reveals mysteries made known to you what is to be. Verse 30, almost done. But as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because of any wisdom that I have, more than all the living, but in order that the interpretation may be known to the king, and that you may know the thoughts of your mind. All right, what's happening here? Long portion of scripture, you guys are doing great. Hanging in there, good job. All right, not only does Daniel chapter two help us see that we have a problem and that we tend to think of ourselves as the hero, but actually that what scripture wants to do is reveal to us the idols and the sin that's in our life. Um, It also helps us understand, well, if this is your problem, here's a good example of the way that you should live, okay? Now, we see with the king, he freaks out. He freaks out over his circumstances. But what we see in Daniel is something very different, isn't it? Daniel does something very different. And I think it's linked to what I wanted to encourage us every week, Daniel 11.32. The people who know their God shall stand firm and what? Anybody remember? Take action. The people of God, who, the people who know their God, shall stand firm and take action. And what we're going to see here is Daniel doing exactly that. So number one, we see Daniel acts very differently. He doesn't panic. Daniel does not panic. When he hears the news, hey, the king is asking the impossible. And he's asking it from you. And if you don't fulfill it, guess what's going to happen? That say goodbye to this stuff. <laughs> what is what would what would what would most of us do, dude? Amy, did you hear about that? That's you and me, and Tim. Tim, you're part of that. That would be awkward if it's just me and Amy. It's got to be Tim and Amy and us. Okay, Marianne too. Marianne, Marianne's and kids, but the, she's part of that too. Okay, hey, that's us. What are we gonna do? Well, our earthly wisdom would say, let's get out of Dodge, right? This world, Southern California, it's crazy. Do you hear about all the laws? You know, some of us put our hope in last week, right? Some of us did. Some of us, like whether the results came the way you wanted it to, about a a governor being recalled or staying, some of us put our hope in that. And when we didn't get, or when we did get the result we wanted, we either were happy or not happy. Well, what we see here is I can guarantee for Daniel, this is not the result he wants. And so the worldly wisdom would say, we're about to die for something that we didn't sign up for, let's get out of here. This world is crazy. Let's run for the hills. Let's go find greener pastures. Does Daniel do that? No, he does not. He doesn't panic. Nor does he lie in bed in the fetal position and wait for the pounding to come knocking on his door and go, this is it, this is the moment. <laughs> Lord, you know, all of those things. He doesn't do either thing. He doesn't panic. What does Daniel do? See, Daniel, what he does is he, Daniel 11.32's it. He stands firm. He stands firm and he takes action. And I think these are some things that the scripture helps us see here. Number one, Daniel's first reaction is he prays, doesn't he? 
Daniel praised. Think about you in your life right now and all of the drama that you're facing. What are you doing first? Preaching to myself. If I could sit right here, Kelly would be looking at me. That'd be weird, but he'd be looking at me. And this Kelly would be like, dude, you're right. Because what I tend to do when I'm in a bad situation is my mind first and foremost, just acknowledging my weakness before you, goes to how am I going to fix this? What clever thing am I going to do to, be, to fix this situation? All right, we got this, this, and this that need help in, in, in our family life, and this is a situation, this car needs, you know, all of these things. Okay, what am I going to do? What am I going to, okay, this is what I'm going to do. Oh, these things in the church, here's some problems that we're facing, and we're, we're feeling growth here, but we don't have the infrastructure. Oh, oh okay, what am I going to do? What am I going to, I got I to make this happen. I got to make this happen. And we go first there, and what Scripture helps us understand is to a Daniel 11.30 to it is to stand firm in God and to take action. And it's not to take action in our own flesh. It's to take action first in God. And so what Daniel does is he prays first. And he gets his buddies to pray. This is why we do, uh, uh, well, we do pre-service prayer. We don't call it pre-service prayer anymore. We call it prayer because this isn't a service, right? Right? Okay. Um, we pray before we gather. We pray once a month. Uh, congregational-led prayer, community prayer. I don't know what we call it anymore. We call it prayer. We get together not just by ourselves. We can all pray by ourselves. But why do we get together? It's because there's safety in numbers. There's power in numbers. There's faith that rises in numbers. There's unity that comes to those things. Daniel goes, hey, Mishael, Azariah. I don't remember the other guy's name. But Shadrach, Mishael, and Abednego. Hey, guys, we got a problem. And instead of us just getting around the round table, like nights, nights of the round table, and trying to figure it out, let's pray together. Let's pray together. Let's ask God to reveal to us. Why are we asking God? Are we throwing up hopeless prayers and hoping that something sticks to the ceiling? No. What we're doing is we're beseeching the one who knows the answer. And so while you are wrestling through your mind and going through a problem and you're all this anxiety is starting to come up. Why? Because you're starting to realize, I don't have the power to fix this situation. Why not divert all of that anxious energy and give it to God? And say, God, I acknowledge that I don't have the power for this, to fix this relationship, to fix this finances, to fix etc. And I'm, I'm feeling, this, yeah, this is freaking me out. This dude wants to kill me. And Lord, I know you have the answers, so I'm going to get my buddies. Let's roll, and let's not let's roll in the flesh. Let's roll and let's pray. Will you pray with me? I don't know what to do here. I'm not sure what to do here. Will you stand with me in prayer? And we'll trust that God knows. Why do we trust that God knows? Because God knows. That's who we serve. We serve a God who knows all things. Why wouldn't you want to go to the person who knows everything? Why do you think you know everything? Because you think you're Daniel. You're not. You're Nebuchadnezzar. All right, keep going. By the way, this taking action in prayer, I mean, you got to ask yourself the question, why don't I pray? And I've heard it said before, prayerlessness is practical atheism. That's what it is. It's not you standing in your face, I don't believe in a God. No, atheism is actually doing, living your life in such a way that God is not even there. And prayerlessness is one of the number one examples of that. 
I can be, I can be guilty of being an atheistic Christian at times. And I know we all can too. Let's join in prayer. All right, what else does Daniel do? Well, not only does he pray, he doesn't panic. He prays, but then he praises. He praises. And what you see here is, you're going to notice these are all Ps, okay? Um, what you notice here is that as Daniel prays, God answers him. And what does Daniel do? He doesn't be like, thanks, God. Or he doesn't kind of say like, I was so amazing, I came up with this idea myself. No, he gives credit to God. He gives credit where credit is due. And I don't know if you noticed there, but he starts to ascribe greatness to who God is. Something we do in prayer all the time is we always start with the truths of who God is. Why do we do that? Why do we praise God? Why do we praise God? It's because our hearts tend to go, God's not good. God's not good, or God's absent, or God doesn't care. Look at my circumstances. And what we do, and what we need to do, friends, is when we start to praise, why do we sing songs in the beginning? Why? It's because our hearts have like gone all these different ways through the week, right? And so when we start to sing, it starts to remind us of the truth of who God is, and then our problems and our circumstances and everything that we think we need to have control over, we start to sing and we start to listen to the Word of God, and we remind ourselves that God is big, God is in control. And so what Daniel does here, he's, just, he's ascribing greatness to God. God, you're the one. You're the one who, who controls kings. You're the one who shifts the hearts of kings. You're the one who sets up governments and brings them down. And my hope is not in whether this guy gets recalled or whether he stays. My hope is in you because you're the one who's in control. And he praises his way through his fear. He praises his... He, there's, there's like he puts himself in a posture dependent on the truth of who God is. But you'll also see in praising, you have to declare the truth of who you are. God, you're great, and I am not great. God, you're amazing, and Lord, I am so undeserving of your greatness being shown in my life. This, what should do, is produce gratitude in us, right? It should produce gratitude. We should be the most grateful people on the planet. Why? Because we don't deserve any portion of the greatness of God being poured out into our lives. We deserve death. We deserve punishment. But God in his grace and in his loving kindness and in his mercy, he supersedes all that and he makes a way for us not to have to pay the penalty through, for that through Christ. And he, what he does is he not only just wipes the slate clean, but he adds to us fruitfulness and love and kindness and gentleness and grace and all the things that we need. And so when we start to praise, we go, God, you're amazing. I'm not. But in your amazingness, you've given me goodness, and I'm going to rejoice. And this should break the heart of the arrogant, and it should bring gratitude to the humble. Yeah? All right. You guys doing okay this morning? Okay. Not only does praise remind us of the truth here, but praise keeps us from getting discouraged. Look at Psalm 137, verses 1 through 4. And this is a prophetic psalm, and it's a psalm that talked about when the people were in exile. It says this, By the rivers of Babylon we sat and we wept when we remembered Zion. There on the poplars we hung our harps. For there our captors asked for our songs, our tormentors demanded songs of joy, like sing for me, right? 
They said, sing us one of the songs of Zion. Entertain us. How can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a foreign land? Well, you want to know how we can sing the songs of the Lord while in a foreign land? How can we sing songs of joy and praise and adoration and ascribe greatness to our God while we're living still in a city, in a community, in a culture that we feel like exiles as we begin to praise and we begin to remind ourselves of the truth of who God is every single time? God's character does not change depending on your circumstances. Amen. All right. And then we see here that Daniel proclaims. He prays, he praises, and then he proclaims to the king. He prays God give us an answer. God gives an answer. He praises God for the answer. And out of this answer that God has given, what he does is he returns and he goes to Nebuchadnezzar and he proclaims the truth of who God is to a king who wants to rip him apart. He doesn't go to the king first and say, hey, 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 this is crazy talk. The other guys did, right? Are you, are you out of your mind? No person in their right mind could ask us to not only just interpret the dream. I mean, we might be able to do that, but now you're asking us for what the dream is to and its interpretation? You're out of your mind. No, Daniel doesn't say, hey, you're being irrational, king. He prays, he praises, and then out of the answer that God gives him, he proclaims. And he knows that this doesn't come from within himself, right? Some of us here this morning have this truth living in us, but it's not a truth that we have recognized or actually feel grateful for. And so therefore, we kind of think that we came up with it on our own, and then we get in fights on Facebook and Instagram or Twitter or TikTok or in the grocery store or coming up at Thanksgiving, right? Thanksgiving. Who's excited about Thanksgiving? Some people are like, I hate Thanksgiving. It's just arguments. And we talk, no, Thanksgiving should be time of, anyways. But what happens is that's what happens. Why? Because we think somehow that we are the the original person that came up with this truth. It comes from God. And from this understanding, what we do is we Daniel 11.32 it. We, We know our God and so therefore we stand firm and we take action. We know our God and, th- and it's, through this, it's through the root that produces the fruit. Not the fruit that produces the root. And we get it backwards. And friends, the only way that we can rightly pray, the only way that we can rightly praise, the only way that we can rightly proclaim the truth of who God is, is if we stand in knowing who God is first. Not the other way around. Well, you don't know who God is, so I'm going to tell you how stupid you are. How evil you are. How unrighteous you are. You deserve hell. You're terrible. And actually, we were that same person. And then we need to turn it around and say, it's because of who God is. Let me share with you the love of who God is. We were praying this morning, and part of the prayer was, God... Let us be a church that stands for truth and righteousness and justice and all of what is good. But not at the expense of pointing the finger at an evil generation and say, you are so bad, you need to be like us. No, see what we do is we stand the truth, we don't make excuses for truth, we stand with boldness, we declare the truth, this is right and this is wrong. And you can understand it and we want to welcome you into that community and we'll do it with loving arms. You're not going to do it always right. You're going to mess up. We mess up. But we want to welcome you in. This should be a safe place where we speak truth, but we do it in love. 
Amen? So Daniel proclaims. All right. Almost done. You guys hanging in there? All right. Let's keep reading. Daniel chapter 2, verse 31 through 35. Now we're going to see. You, you know, you got to kind of ask yourself, um, what's the point of these, like, dreams? And what's the point of these prophecies, you know? And I know some church kind of cultures and traditions like to get caught up in, like, all these weird interpretations and say, like, this is Russia, you know? This is China, and like, see, you know, and like, God's coming back in two years. And like, we, no one really knows. All we, all we can do is say, this is exactly what Scripture says. And so we're going to apply what the Scripture says. That's it. That's what we're going to do. All right? Okay. So that's what we're going to do this morning. So Daniel chapter 2, verse 31 through 35. So Daniel proclaims, and he tells the king this. You saw. Isn't that interesting? Man, what, what confidence. <laughs> you saw. This is what you saw. How does he know? Because God told him. You saw, O king, and behold, a great image. The image, mighty and of exceeding uh, brightness, stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. The head of this image was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its leg of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. As you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand, and it struck the image on the feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Verse 35. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold all together were broken in pieces and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floor. And the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that was struck, the image, uh, sorry, but the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. All right. So we can try to uh, apply our subjective kind of interpretation of this dream, but Daniel's actually going to tell us what the interpretation is here. But we know historically what we see here is Daniel's going to tell the king, hey, this represents you and some other kingdoms. The gold is you. You're the gold part of the statue. And I could, could you imagine Nebuchadnezzar going, man, oh, why was I all freaked out? You know? I mean, gold, that's about as good as it gets. Thank you, Daniel. Yeah, I, that's, what I, that's what I was going to say. I just want to make sure you knew that I knew that we were all agreeing about the same thing. But see, then Daniel doesn't stop there. He keeps, and he keeps talking about how not only is the gold, not only is the silver, not only is the bronze and the bronze and the clay mixed together and the iron is going to be destroyed. And I imagine Nebuchadnezzar at this time is going, what in the heck? And we know that we see here Babylon, gold, we see the Medo-Persians, silver, we see uh, Greece, the next kingdom that comes in, and then we see Rome come in. And these four kingdoms. But then you see at the end here, Daniel talks about a rock. And it wasn't made from human hands like the statue was. It wasn't hewn by a bunch of idle people, creators. It was a, a rock that was not created by any human hand. And this rock, for some reason, it seems like it gets hurled from somewhere, from someone at this statue. And the rock destroys every single material that is represented there, no matter how strong those materials are. And friends, what we have to do with this portion of Scripture is not get all weird and go like, well, you know, the four horns here and the, the gold, like Jesus is like gold, but this is defiled gold and silver is precious. Through the, like, and we try to, it's like super spiritualized. No! See, the big 
picture here for us today and for Daniel and for Nebuchadnezzar is to know that God is in control. That's the end of the story. God sets up governments. God tears down governments. God puts up kings, good and bad kings. God tears down kings, good and bad kings. God raises up governors. God tears down governors. God raises up all authority because the scripture says all authority comes from God. And so the lesson here for us this morning is if you're putting your hope in government, don't do it. Don't do it. Our guy won. Woohoo! Let's celebrate. Like the end of Star Wars when the Emperor dies. They show all the worlds and everybody's dancing and they're like little Ewoks are making this terrible music, right? No, that's not where our hope is, whether somebody died or somebody lived or somebody came in power or somebody got removed from power. Our hope is in what? The rock that was thrown at the statue that is somehow not hewn from, uh, from human hands is more powerful than gold, silver, bronze, clay, etc., iron, all of the things. And so when we start to put our hope, see, this would have spoken to Nebuchadnezzar said, Nebuchadnezzar? Not as good as you think you are. The arrogant. And this would have also spoke to the exile, you and me. Hey, when you start to freak out, I'm in control. When you start to look at the world around you, when you start to read the news, when you start to like, get overwhelmed, I want you to know I'm in control. Friends, we're not meant to freak out. We're not meant to panic. See, here's the beautiful thing. This is speaking about Jesus. This is speaking about Jesus. Look, look at verses 44 through 45. Uh, let's end there. Where am I in my Bible? This is what it says. Uh, 44, there we are. And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, now, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all the kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. Just as you saw that stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, a great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain and its interpretation sure. Don't we sit on the other side of that dream? We sit now today on the other side of that interpretation in a full realization of it. See, our hope and their hope would have been at moments in earthly kingdoms. And Jesus came, and people thought, okay, here's our Messiah. Here's the one who's going to give us hope, earthly hope, in earthly kingdoms. He's going to establish himself as the one who broke down all these other governments, and he's going to sit on an earthly throne. And while we live in this life, we're going to enjoy our kingdom now, reigning and kicking butt and taking back what was ours. That's not the way it works. See, we live on the other side of that knowing that Jesus didn't come to give us political hope. Does it inform our politics? Absolutely. But our hope is not in them. See, what happened was a stone that came from a mountain that wasn't formed by a human hand broke all of these things, and it didn't break it in this machismo kind of authority. How did Jesus break all of these other kingdoms? By dying. See, Jesus is a way better Daniel. We could look at Daniel and go, oh, Daniel, what a good dude. Daniel, he stood strong. See, but Daniel didn't die. Daniel didn't die for the nation. Jesus died. 
Jesus faced death. Jesus was stood before a king, our heavenly father, and this king demanded righteousness and demanded purity and demanded an answer for sin. And Jesus stood in our place when we stood there and go, this is impossible. You ask the impossible, oh great king. You ask something that we cannot produce on our own. No person could do this. And Jesus goes, ah, I can. I can. I'll stand in your place. What I'll do is I'll break down all your fears. I'll break down all this, you being separated from a holy God. What I'll do is I'll put myself in your stead. And I'll be the rock that breaks down all these things, not by me being overcoming in the sense of showing my earthly and physical power. What I'm going to do is I'm going to show you how I'm going to dismantle this whole system through me sacrificing my life for you. And you and I sit on the other side of the resurrection today, right here and now, being able to say we are in a kingdom that will never, ever pass away. Ever. Why? Because it's been done through the cross of Christ. Because it's been done through the resurrection on a Sunday morning when people thought three days later he's probably just missing from the grave. We don't know what's happened. See, Jesus stands victorious over these things that you and I start to give credit to, our allegiance to. We start to put all our eggs in one basket about our hopes. And Jesus says, get your eyes off of those things. What I have done is I've surrendered my life. I've given my life to you fully so that those things will never, ever, ever, ever have power over you again because I've now established a kingdom that forever and ever and ever and ever is righteous and has power for eternity. Where are you putting your hope this morning? I'm a Nebuchadnezzar. Look at my position. Look at my power. That just brings anxiety, fear, frustration, and anger. We're meant to, friends, look to God. See, we're meant to Daniel 11.32 it. We're meant to know who our God is. We're meant to stand firm and take action. Not take action, stand firm, so that we would know who our God is. It's the other way around. My encouragement to us, Southlands Chino, we all have things in our life right now that are going on where we are fighting for control. We all have things right now where we're trying to moralize our life and, and, or we're putting our hope in anything and everything else than Jesus. And we are meant to be a church that reflects a people who love and trust God and who know their God. And in knowing our God, we stand firm and take action. Amen. Let's stand firm together this morning.